people. Matthew 8, beginning at verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm. Say great storm. On the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Verse 26, he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Then Matthew 11, verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. Let's all pray together and ask the Lord to continue to be in our midst. Dear Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, again for your presence. God, we are nothing without you. And I pray, God, that you allow me to be a vessel, God, for you to pour out to our church today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How many feel that sometimes you're in this kind of storm, a storm that's about to take over you and feels like it may even take your life? I'm curious as to how many of you often feel overwhelmed with life. You feel there's too much going on. You feel stressed. You feel busy. What about tired all of the time? These are things that I hear, and it's well noted today that if you begin to ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Oh, bro, I am so tired. Well, well how, you go to someone, how, how are you doing? Man, I'm so busy. Well, praise the Lord. I like to be busy, but then there's a busy with overwhelmed, and then it becomes a mess. And so that is what we hear so often. I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed. And in our culture, it's almost as if it has become more and more acceptable and normal to be busy and tired and overwhelmed than it is to slow down and enjoy the life that God has given you. If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like there is too much going on, if you feel like you are at the tipping point where just one more thing, just one more thing could put you over the edge, then hopefully today's message will speak to you. I want to speak to you for the next few moments on the topic of victorious. Victorious. We all like to be victorious. It just makes me feel good saying it. I want to be victorious. I'm pretty competitive. If I get out there and play the game, I want to win. You know, I want to, I want to be, you walk down the hallway with Brother John's, you get one step ahead of him, well, he's going to speed up a little bit. You know, some of us just have that in us. We want to win. I want to be victorious. But we serve a victorious God. And that's what we need to understand today is we serve a victorious God. I'll say it again. We serve a victorious God. Look at your neighbors. Hey, hey, I'm victorious. Amen. We've had two incredible weeks of Family Matters so far. And our Wednesday night sessions, they've been a great success. We still have a lot in store over the next three weeks. So please make every effort to be here on Wednesday nights as well as Sundays. And we call this Family Matters on purpose because every member of this church is a part of this church family. And everyone matters from the youngest child in that nursery to the eldest with, with all their wisdom because everyone counts 
And we want to make sure that that's noted. Over the last month or so, praying and thinking about this month with the breakout sessions and the topics, I've had such a stirring in my soul about some of the actual needs of our families. We have individuals that walk through these doors on a weekly basis carrying such a heavy load, feeling that they are in the boat of life in the middle of that raging storm that will not let up rowing with everything that they, they've got only to feel they're getting nowhere, feeling as if the devil himself is riding their backs to make every step as miserable as possible. My message is to someone here today that needs some encouragement, that needs some peace from a victorious Jesus Christ. We are a victorious church. We have a victorious God. We serve a victorious master. Amen. It's not a secret that life is full of struggle, suffering. And as the bumper sticker so well puts it, the struggle is real. It's so real that people use this term in a sarcastic manner, explaining how weary they really are. Struggle, pain, worry, anxiety, even discontentment. These are terms, and there are many more, that all are a part of our lives today. But struggle in itself is not always a bad thing. In fact, it is the pressure of life that shows the true nature of what is within each of us. I have a friend who will say in a joking way sometimes when he has a difficult task in front of him, he'll say, it'll build character, he said, and it will. But when the pressures of life come, what comes out of us? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it hurt? Is it confusion? Hopefully not choice words. And in that moment, where do you turn? So many are not quick to turn to that victorious God. So many first turn to other things that are around us. Some turn to food. Some turn to a hobby. Some turn to shopping. Dear Lord. But in the area of suffering, our world doesn't make sense so many times. I've heard Brother John say several times over the last few months, uh, not in a condemning way, but why are we shocked when something bad happens in our life and we hear the words of our Apostle Peter? That is a part of normal life. We may think life makes sense sometimes when the person playing with fire gets burned or the terrorist is killed from his own bomb or the reckless driver gets in an accident and he's the one that's hurt instead of harming others. But does it make sense when we think about the innocent ones, the young man hit by the car because someone was texting while driving, or the innocent killed from the terrorist bomb, or the two-year-old with leukemia, or the elder who is struggling through the effects of a terrible disease. How do we deal with these seemingly inconsistent parts of life? Because these are very real questions. And I wanted to grasp and have a better understanding of our ability to correctly view this type of struggle and suffering because we can be sidetracked, church, with the pain, with the hurt, with the confusion because we think God is indifferent or uncaring. But there are some things to remember when dealing with struggles in life, and that is God is not indifferent and never will be. And never will be. God is concerned about what is happening to us, but he is more concerned about what is happening in us. Let's look back to our original text. Verse 24 says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, 
so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord! We are perishing! Exclamation point. It's an exclamatory. They are, they are desperate. Save us! And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Question. Jesus is asking this question. Um, mark it right there in the Bible, that question mark. Where is your faith? Why are you reacting this way? And in that moment, maybe the disciples think, well, he, he doesn't even care. We're about this storm, and the waves are coming over, over the boat, and, and we're about to be capsized, and, and the storm is going to take us over. But he is concerned with what is going on inside of them. Jesus Christ, the Almighty God, was physically in the boat with them, and they are scared and fearful. They've got to know nothing's going to happen with them. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus, he was there physically, right there in the boat with them. Think about this, a boat with fishermen, men who you would think are familiar with a stormy sea. They're desperate. They're fearful for their lives. The boat was about to sink. Waves were coming in. They're seeking help from Jesus with desperation. Sometimes we are just like they are. Sometimes we think God doesn't care or are not there at all because of the hurt and hate, not only in our little world, but in this great big world that we live in. In, I believe that we have a tendency to misread God. We miss that we have this lack of understanding because if we could figure it out, we'd be trying to make different plans. Well, all right, God, let me help you out with that point because this is just not working for me. And then we would make a big mess of things. We tend to look at the circumstances of life in terms of what they may do to our hopes or our conveniences. We get real selfish real quick. When a problem threatens, we do not always seek his perspective, but ask him to deflect the trouble. Like the brilliant message Brother Adam Shaw preached a few weeks ago, and he was saying that he, he had a learning lesson from God when he asked, God, just make the pain stop. But he can do so much more than just stop this pain. He can make the threatening storm of your life stop immediately and be perfectly calm. Even the wind and the sea obey his command. God's got this. He is a victorious God. Church, we serve a victorious Lord. We serve a victorious God. I'll never forget sitting in a hospice center with Brother John's, visiting with a family early in ministry and that was going through a terrible situation. It was incredibly sad. And Brother John's looked at me in this teaching moment and he said, he said, Brad, God is not biting his fingernails, wondering what's going to happen next. And I've never forgot that, church. God's not guessing what's about to happen. He already knows because God is in control. And for some reason, we think that he's not. Some reason, we need to think we need to give him a little bit of assistance. God, let me do this for you. But he's wanting us just to stay faithful and to obey him because he's a victorious God. There was a Protestant minister, missionary named Arthur Matthews. He was serving as a missionary in China when the communists took over. He spent years in house arrest with his wife and daughter, and his writings show what it's like to embrace the plan and purposes of God in suffering. When everything is going all so wrong, he says in his book, Ready for Battle, 
And I quote, an escapist generation re security, prosperity, and physical well being as evidence of God's blessing. When he puts suffering and affliction into our hands, we misread his signals and misinterpret his intentions. So the next time you face a trial, don't resent, resist, or run from the cross. Instead, embrace it and trust in the heart of the one who died for you on that cross. We serve a victorious Lord. Don't miss the point of Jesus and why he came. We see this in Mark chapter 1. We find Jesus healing people. The disease, the paralyzed, the crowds, the hordes were rushing him. They wanted to get to Jesus. Jesus was healing people left and right, casting out evil spirits. He's all through Mark chapter 1, and he cast that evil spirit out and was not able to speak ever again. People were coming from near and far to be touched by this miracle man, Jesus Christ. Later in this chapter, we read that Jesus retired. He went to bed, and early in the morning, he got up and went to a solitary place to pray. When the sun rose, the crowds returned. The disciples came looking for Jesus, and in verse 37, when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you, Master. Or the King James says, All men seek for thee. You can picture this scene. The paralyzed, the blind, the lame, all down at the foot of this hill with these physical needs waiting for the touch of this mighty God, Jesus Christ. They wanted him to come quickly. Come quickly. We have this need. We need you to touch. We need you to be here. But Jesus says the most remarkable thing to his disciples in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also that is why I have come. Jesus no doubt cared about the crippled, the paralyzed, the blind, and the lame. Down at the foot of that hill, he understood their physical ailments. He knew that they needed a touch from him. But maybe their physical situation was not his focus. The message was the focus. The message that Jesus wanted to get across was that sin kills. Hell is real. But what he came to do was to seek and save that which was lost. He's a victorious God. Anytime people missed that and started to come to Jesus simply to get their situations fixed, Jesus seemed to back away. He didn't want these physical healings and miracles to hinder his mission and divert public attention from his message. We read in Mark, this is exactly what happened in the man's excitement over his being miraculously healed from leprosy. He disobeyed Jesus and told what had happened to him. And as a result, Jesus had to move his ministry away from the city into other areas. Let's read in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 41. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And then verse 45, however, he went out, he began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. I think sometimes in our own culture of comfort, 
We feel so despised and we despise the suffering, suffering and we feel that we do not deserve what we're going through. And most of the time, maybe we don't. And I'm preaching to myself, but we love to erase it out of the dictionary of our life. We want to give it an ibuprofen. We want to anesthetize it. We want to cure it. We want to institutionalize it. We want to surgically remove it. We want to do everything to escape or avoid the situation, but we must live with it. And yet God's choice is tool in honing our character and polishing off the rough edges and ripping this root of selfishness that often stands in the way of our Savior is affliction. It's suffering. It is the very life circumstances that find uh, that we find so disheartening. Remember the message Jesus wanted to get across. Sin kills. Hell is real. He wanted to seek and save those that were lost. Pain and suffering, it alerts us of a bigger problem. Because in life, it's not what happens to us that determines if we will win or lose. It's how we react to what is happening to us. Chuck Swindoll says that life is 10% situation and 90% attitude. James 1 and 2, considered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It was interesting. A survey was conducted on men and women over the age of 90. They wanted to find a common link to their longevity of life. And to everyone's surprise, it, it wasn't genetics. It wasn't dietary. The thing they all had in common was their ability to adjust to severe troubles and trials in their lives. They were able to take something beneficial from their difficult circumstances of life. The French poet Paul Claudel said, Jesus did not come to do away with suffering or remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. We serve a victorious God. But let's talk about the purpose of pain and suffering. If it is beneficial, then how? I believe it is to alert us. It would be great to have no pain or suffering in the world. Can I get an amen? But the truth is that pain has a purpose. Pain lets us know that something is wrong. As much as we dislike, and especially us men, you know what? I'm not hurting too bad. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I didn't think it was too bad. It often serves a good purpose. It warns that something is wrong. It makes us aware. The cause of the misery rather than the pain itself is the real problem. We're just masking it with band-aids. Pain is a symptom of something greater happening. It's a siren or alarm, if you will, to warn the body that it's under attack, that it's in danger. Likewise, suffering in our world shows us that something is wrong. Something has gone wrong. And that something is sin. Suffering alerts us to our need for God, a God who truly loves us. Because without trials in our lives, maybe we would selfishly disregard our Creator and rely solely on ourselves. Just like the children of Israel, making it all the way down to the, to the ocean, to the sea. The Red Sea in front, Pharaoh's army behind, mountains on both sides. Now what are you going to do? You're going to trust totally in God. And God will receive the glory. But when we start taking it in our own hands, then we take that glory from God. I got this, God. Go work on somebody else. 
No, I want this victorious God a part of my life and every decision and every thought process. I want that God to be my filter of every decision that I make because we serve a victorious God. In the New Testament, in Romans 8, Paul describes the whole creation of God as groaning and eagerly waiting for them when it will be freed from the curse of decay and be remade free from the effects of sin. All of the pain and suffering in the world is a symptom of a greater problem. To alert us that dark reality, the the deeper problem is the human race and that has rebelled against our Creator. Every moment of grief, sorrow, and, and place of agony in our lives is there to remind us of our human problem that reality is a message to the world that this world is not the way God created it to be because of sin and do not misunderstand me please I'm not suggesting that we're going through the trials and and suffering and pain in our lives because you're full of sin that's not what I'm suggesting but we're in this world that has embraced sin and troubles are on every hand we experience pain as a part of life but keep holding on because Jesus Christ is victorious here's the good news Jesus came to take away the sin of the world and we know this to provide a way back to the freedom in Jesus and to be in a right relationship with God. That's my desire. We can go to the Word of God. And from the very beginning, people have experienced suffering and pain undeserved. We have an entire book in the Bible about a family suffering and pain, the book of Job. Job was a man, not superhuman, but a righteous man trying to do the right thing. God knew Job would not turn from him, and he allowed Satan to touch him. And Satan took everything he had away from him but his faith in God. There must have been a point in his suffering that he didn't know what was going to happen next. I mean, he had lost everything at this point. He couldn't read the end of his story as we can and increase and encourage our faith. We would want to do that. He was being torn from every side, even his wife, who herself suffered terrible loss. The loss was not only to Job. She lost her children, too. Job was continually humble. Naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave. Job didn't know like we do that God was going to restore double back to him church we serve a victorious God we've got to keep holding on we want to say Job if you just keep holding on God's going to be there for you there's a greater plan than what you'll ever understand Joseph's story in the Bible and book of Genesis is one of my favorites. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. In Egypt, he was indicted on false charges and thrown into prison. And as a result of Joseph's suffering and endurance by God's grace and power, Joseph is later promoted to governor of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. He finds himself in a position to make provision for the nations of the world during a time of famine, including his own family and brothers that sold him into slavery. The message of this story is summarized, Genesis 50, 19 through 21. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. I went back and counted that summary, those words in that summary, 92 words that we can summarize approximately 22 years of the life of Joseph. From being raised and educated as a young boy, the jealousy of his brothers, being sold into slavery, being, <coughs> swallowing that, 
being falsely accused, to becoming the second in command in the land of Egypt, only under one Pharaoh. 22 years, and, and I had honestly had never looked at that, and, and I started searching how much time from the time he was sold into slavery until he became second in command of Egypt, 22 years. That is some 246 or 247 months. That's almost 2,000 days. This is what we can read. We can read this story and understand the steps of Joseph's life. We cannot read the spiritual attacks that Joseph faced and that he must have endured, not to mention the middle stress. He thought he was forgotten, his education and organizational skills being used for prisoners. He couldn't read the end of his own story as we can, church. We would have been saying, just hang in there, Joseph. God is working everything out. You may be on week 212, but God's got this under control because he's a victorious God. You may not understand what God's got going on in your life, but if you keep faithful, you keep holding on to the truth, God is going to keep you. It will just take a little bit of more time, Joseph. Be faithful. Don't turn your back on God now. You're not forgotten as you may think. We can read the story. We can read the words. But what can we not read? Everything that he went through for all of those years to get where he got from a victorious God. I promise you everything wasn't pleasant. I promise you he didn't just enjoy all of those days in that nasty prison with, with rats and such and, and being nasty who had to be cleaned before he could be taken before Pharaoh himself. He, that was not enjoyable. Abraham, I cannot imagine walking with my son. That was a miracle and promise. Taking him up a mountain with the intent to sacrifice him before God. Obeying God until it hurts, all the while believing God is going to make a way. Church Abraham was as human as anyone sitting here today, and he was living, Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen was working for him. He never wavered in his faith. He had works. Faith had works. It wasn't dead. If we could, we would have wanted to encourage Abraham. Don't give up, Abraham. I've read the story. You're going to get up there, and you're going to be ready to sacrifice, and you're going to build this altar, and you're going to throw Isaac up there, and there's going to be a ram stuck over there. There's going to be a provision. But Abraham did not know that. All he knew was whether he was trusting in the Lord. He was faithful. God had a provision waiting. Just remain faithful. Daniel, you were living a life so pleasing to God. Your relationship with God was as solid as stone. And though you've been warned not to pray, you're never going to turn your back on God. You're going to keep praying. I don't care if someone's listening through my window. I'm going to keep praying to my faithful God. But now in the lion's den was his punishment. I don't know about you, but the reality of this is incomprehensible to me. It's not a happy spend the night party in the lion's den. He was a man. He must have fear ripping and gripping at his heart as they lowered him to a certain death. But God, Daniel had faith that God would save him and his faithfulness saved him. There's no account that he begged for his life. He remained faithful. Hold on, Daniel. This is what I would want to say. God is going to close the mouth of those lines, but he didn't know that. He didn't know the end of his story. It's so easy for us to get all encouraged and excited about these Bible stories because we know the end. He didn't know that. The Bible tells me so, Daniel. 
These heroes of the word of God were completely human, but they believed. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know there must be fear in your mind, but it's only a fire. You won't feel it long. My God may not deliver me, they said, but we will not bow down. Just hang in there, guys. Help is on the way. Guess what? The king's going to see. The king's going to see the fourth man in the fire, and it looks like the son of God. We serve a victorious God. We serve a victorious God. So many stories and examples of faithfulness we could share. Pain and suffering alerts us about a bigger problem. And that is our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has overcome. And so we can overcome through Him. Jesus is victorious. Church, Jesus has overcome. And He will never allow us to go anywhere He hasn't been before Himself. John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How do we tap into what Jesus has already won for us? You got to strengthen your relationship with God. You got to accept the reality of life in this world and allow Jesus to help you. Don't pray to Jesus like he's a spiritual vending machine. I'm going to throw a dime in there. What else I got? I'm going to give something I got left over here, God, because it's just changed from the dollar that I already spent on something else. I'm going to throw the quarter in that vending machine. Pull the lever of blessing. Yeah, get that and see how that works for you. That's not the kind of God we serve. We serve a victorious God wanting, wanting a relationship. Realize that suffering reveals the real you. It squeezes and it crushes you until all the impurities and self-centeredness come out. The very stuff that God wants to burn out of your character. Suffering is the textbook that teaches us about ourselves. Suffering shows us who we really are and to accept reality. Faith is so important. Faith is not some vague, wistful thinking philosophy. What is that? It's grabbing and taking hold of the solid, real promises of the Word of God and anchoring them into your heart. Remembering faith without works is dead. We have to put action to our faith, church. Don't be proud or prideful and try to do it all on your own. Accept help from your friends, your loved ones, and the church family. We have a victorious God. How do we overcome? Remember that this life is temporary. We are but a vapor. We are living for God today. We are praying for His will in our lives today. The core of God's plan is to rescue us from sin. That's the real focus of God. Our pain, our problems, our comfort aren't so much His focus. Because remember, it rains on the just and the unjust. God is most concerned with rescuing us from our sinful selves. And handling suffering, we don't have all the answers. It will be dangerous for us to pretend that we do and try and answer why God allows suffering. All of the reasons are complex and way beyond our abilities. But Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But it's okay. Any time to bring God all of your questions, all of your supplications or your requests, all of the pain and lay it down at the cross. Give it to God. God provides the tools for us to hear him clearly. Learn from the pain of life and set people free with the power of the gospel of Jesus. Be that example because not everyone is miraculously healed. Not every prayer request is answered the way we think it should be. But God knows all. Remain faithful. The testimony of you continuing to be faithful in what you have been through is what others will see. And it will inspire and encourage. There are two dimensions that we have as individuals. What people can see and what people cannot see. What is physical and what is spiritual. What's happening to Joseph in his story that we cannot see. That part of the story that we can't read. The unseen purpose, the the hall of faith. If we look there in Hebrews, depicts heroes who remained faithful. I had a friend tell me, if you ask everybody in this room, do you trust God for your eternity? Everyone would be raising their hand or they wouldn't be here. But how many trust God for their tomorrow? We think God's got eternity handled, but we don't, we're not sure that God can help me tomorrow. Why are we here if we don't trust God for the next moment in our life? Eternity, that's the ultimate. We're good with that, but so many of us can't grasp our faith for the next step. But we can do this, church. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Music. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Because church, God is the God of today and tomorrow. He knows. He understands. His ways are greater than our ways. More than we can possibly comprehend. More than the capacity that we have. I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why the bills keep coming and you have not the money to pay. I don't know why you have suffering. I don't understand death. I don't understand some of the questions. I don't have the answers. But we serve a just God. We serve a victorious God. And we have to make up in our minds that, you know what? Someone can't read the end of my story yet either. But I'm going to stay faithful so that I have a testimony that said, you know what? He stood through. He didn't understand all of his health issues. He didn't understand why he had to wear a colostomy bag. But God knew because God had a greater plan. God had a greater purpose. I don't know why we go through the things. I don't know the relationship issues. I don't know the disease. I don't, I don't know. But we serve a victorious God who loves us, who cares for us, who is longing for you just to reach out to Him. God, I love you. We serve a victorious God. That's who we serve. 
I love the song, Victor's Crown. The words of these verses go, you are always fighting for us. Heaven's angels all around. My delight is found in knowing that you wear the victor's crown. You're my help and my defender. You're my savior and my friend. By your grace I live and breathe to worship you. At the mention of your greatness and your name I will bow down. In your presence fear is silent for you know and you wear the victor's crown. Let your glory fill this temple Let your power overflow. By your grace, I live and breathe to worship you. And in the highest praise, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have overcome the world. You are ever interceding. As the lost become the found, you can never be defeated, for you wear the victor's crown. You are Jesus the Messiah. You're the hope of all the world. By your grace, I live and breathe to worship you. Every high thing must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken. At the cross, the work was finished. You were buried in the ground, but the grave could not contain you, for you wear the victor's crown. We need to stand to our feet and worship a victorious God today, church. I've said it and I'll say it again. No, I don't understand. We can take the most trained psychologists and counselors. We don't know the answers. But we serve a victorious God. We serve a victorious God. You can't give up. You can't stop moving forward. We serve a victorious God. Could we make our way down to this altar? And I ask and I plead that everyone make a way. Find a place to pray today. They're going to begin to sing this, but I want the presence of God to fill this church. God's presence is here. There are people here that have great needs. There are so many people here with questions in your mind of so many things you have no understanding of. You got to give it to God. The reality of this life is that we may not have all the answers and we don't know, but our concern is that we make it to eternity because we serve a victorious God. God, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm going to love you. God, I'm going to worship you. God, I'm going to give all my life to you. God, I'm going to be that example because I want the book written about my life to be faithfulness. In Jesus' name.